ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. This is Japan by River Cruise with your hosts, Ali and Bobby. My name is Bobby Judo. I'm calling in from Japan. And my name is Ollie Horn. I'm calling in from the UK. So today we are going to be discussing a story that uh, got Ali really excited because this is just like your wheelhouse. Uh, it's trademark yeah. law. Yay, yeah. trademark law. Is it- this is exactly what I spent three years on, like exact, like exact this issue. Yeah. And let me tell you, I couldn't give a shit. As it pertains to Kim Kardashian's attempts to uh, trademark the name Kimono for her new uh, shapewear brand. Uh, and as always, we're going to be taking an in-depth look at the world of Japanese river cruises, including this week's river cruise recommendation. Isn't that right, Ali? Yes, I'll be recommending a cruise just outside of Tokyo, which has unique anti-terrorism measures uh, to make it Yokohama's safest cruise. How do they do it? Well, a departure schedule that's entirely inconsistent with the actual start times and security officials with a tougher-looking uniform. Oh, that is clever. Also, let's get linguistic. Uh, We'll be listing our top 20 Japanese river cruise-based proverbs, and we'll tell you which ones are good for starting a fight. But first, Soap Talk. Soap talk time. Bobby, why do we call it soap talk? We call it soap talk uh, because your Japanese is bad. Thanks, Bobby. Let's cool, say cool. soap talk in Japanese. One, two, three. Sekenbanashi. Yeah, you took way too many seconds to do that. You don't need that stop in there, man. You don't need that okay, stop. Okay, good. Uh, Bobby, how's your week been? I had something funny happen to me uh, just yesterday. I, uh, I was walking home at night headed to the train station and I was stopped at a at a light waiting for the light to change so I could cross and a group of Japanese people uh, came stumbling out of out of a nomikai out of like a drinking party it was like a company coming out of their drinking party um, mm. and the shacho like the president of the company kind of is, is like stumbling walking and he stops his walk way too close to me and like kind of facing me like diagonally to my left and then somebody stops facing him like directly, which puts them like diagonally to my right. So, I, yeah. So then like the rest of the company and their little nomikai like starts to form around them, which means they've now created like a circle that I'm a part of. And they're starting to do their like kaisan aisatsu. They're, they're like dissolving and they're getting ready to do their formal saying goodbye yeah. and otsukai-sama desu and everything. By, by the way, it takes forever. If ever you go for a meal out with a large group of Japanese people, try yeah. and find a reason to make a quick escape. Because otherwise you think the meal's done, you've paid the bill, and then there's a good 10, 15 minutes outside while everyone says things, yeah. maybe <sighs> claps together in unison. Yep, yep trying to get out of that like outside of the restaurant and they usually do it like standing directly in front of the door of the restaurant which is just a and huge like, hassle but this time so instead of doing it directly in front of the door of the restaurant, they did it like in a semicircle around me. So like they all, they all start to do their like their their kaisan aisatsu, and I am a part of the group. Uh, and I was just standing there at the light. And so I guess the reason that they were all out is because they had a new company employee who was there. He's he's a Nepalese guy, and they were like doing a welcoming thing for the, for him. And he's there with his wife. And so. 
the only person in the whole group that kind of like notices that I am now like in the group is the wife. And she and I are like making eye contact and kind of like smirking and laughing. And then they all start to do their bowing. And so I just kind of start bowing too. And then I'll start like telling (laughs) the Nepalese guy and his wife to like do their best in Japan and to, to, you know, work hard and gambate with their new life. And so I start saying it too, at which point like one (laughs) Japanese employee of the company looks up and sees me and he sees my face and he goes, Oh, Ara, which is like, Oh, wow. And the Shacho responds to that and sees me standing like directly next to him. And he's like, Oh, is this like a friend of yours? They're all in like their work suits. And I'm like, like in my, they're like looking at the Nepalese guy going, presumably you brought him, did you? But so the Japanese guy who recognizes me, the Shacho is like, uh, oh, is he a friend of yours? And he's like, no, no, he's on he's on TV. He's a he's a soccer player, which I'm not, um, but I'm on TV. And that's, the a, Shacho, that's a classic Bobby Judo level of fame, isn't it? It's like yeah. they know roughly they know you're on telly, but they couldn't say precisely what you do. And the Shacho is like, but well, I've never seen this guy. And and they're like, oh, no, I don't know if he's on TV in Kyoto, which apparently Shacho is from. Uh, but he's like he's on TV a lot in Fukuoka. And the shot show was like, oh, that's cool. That's cool. But like, why are, why is he here? <laughs> like he actually said like, not nande wa kondekite no. And so like, I feel like going through the whole explanation of like, no, you guys kind of formed up around me. And instead of doing what a normal person would do and taking a step back, I just decided to see how it played out. Uh, <laughs> I felt like that'd be weird. So instead, I was just like, ah, ah, Betsuni, which is just like, I, I, I don't really know. I just so figured, now yeah. So now there's a Shacho somewhere in Kyoto and an entire branch of his small company in Fukuoka that thinks I'm just this like stuck up, self-important local TV personality who wanders around at night inserting myself in the group for attention. I, do you know, I can probably imagine though that <laughs> tactic is probably a good way to get to to go to some pretty fun after parties because often oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. people are always in a good mood after a company dinner because often it's been paid for and they kind of forced to drink so they're merry and because yeah. they haven't really enjoyed themselves at the dinner what they do is they form like a, a contra soiree with the people from their company they actually like where then they go on to like yeah, a second they break or up or into a... separate groups and like they'll go to karaoke right. or they'll yeah exactly and I, so I imagine that's probably quite a good way to go. Right, which one of you? Which one of you likes the cool one? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna follow you. Yeah, uh, except good. I well, think it was it was just antagonistic because they just assumed that I had inserted myself in. Yeah, right. So they ended up kind of upset with me. So. Well, can't be as bad as my week. I called a one-year-old boy a twat. Yeah, that sounds like something you would do. Uh, why though? Uh, so there are these gigs called Aftermath, uh, which um, are gigs marketed primarily at postnatal uh women well i think they're marketed at both genders but it does seem to be mainly women that turn up um, so recent the, mothers so oh right yeah after, like after birth but after birth yeah yeah and so if, if your baby's under under the age of 18 months you can you can go and the shows are always at times which are kind of more appropriate, <laughs> Wait, so isn't that, the afterbirth like all the parts but the baby though like isn't that Uh, like like there's the baby and then there's the afterbirth isn't like is that like yeah um like the placenta i mean next time i do one of these gigs i'm i'm i might delve deep but these mothers they're not really that interested in talking i mean look the whole gig is weird right the whole so it's run very very well it's run by a really good comic and promoter um who herself basically realized like postnatal depression is a thing and basically all these things all that um these 
mothers tend to do after they've given birth is like mother things and they kind of lose their sense of identity so what she's trying to do is build a comedy club that's like an authentic comedy club but it just so happens it happens at midday and you can bring your babies along and i've done three of them oh it's not just for the moms the actual babies are there yeah, because what else are they going to do with the babies? Now, you don't obviously market your act at the babies, right? Um, although sometimes <laughs> musical acts do well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, the the first one I did uh, was was in... A, oh, actually, that was quite weird. It was in a community centre, not far from where my old school was, and one of my old teachers was there with a baby. And we were told expressly, you've got to do like, like your most adult material, right? You've got to make this really seem like it's a late-night gig. So there I was talking about just absolute filth uh, while my former school teacher um, was... Uh, you know, <laughs> and like, and like, I, even, like, it's awful. When, gonna, even when the MC, by the way, said, uh, who, "So who's back on the sex after giving birth?" Even she kind of like glanced at me to check that I wasn't wasn't looking. <laughs> awful. This is a, a callback to a previous episode that we did, but uh, like, I, I'd like to think that like when when you were talking to the person who runs this show, and they were like, "Well, do you think you can handle it?" And you, you were like, "Well, I once performed a bunch of sex material to a group of reggae dance children." <laughs> Exactly. This is this is my thing. This trust this me. This is, is what, what I, I do. do. But they're but, like actually there with their babies on their laps. Then yes. So there are a number of unintended consequences. So imagine. So so think think through a comedy gig, right? The MC does does their bit, and then they bring the first act on. What do they uh, inevitably ask the audience to do to do while the act is walking on stage? Or to round of applause. Right. What can't you do if you've got a baby in your hands? Use your hands. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so all these parents are doing is just like tapping their baby's head really, really, really softly. Uh, and uh, so, anyway, the, so the, the, the first one I did kind of went fine. Then I was booked to do a second one in a much bigger theatre, the Bristol Old Vic. Um, and this was like a massive, great big, like a big stage. And it's like a theatre in the round setup. And I didn't realise during my opener that a baby was rolling onto the stage almost kind of behind me out of my peripheral vision and, and the advice that the, the advice that was given is you've got you've just got to play the gig as if it's going well you know don't they don't want to hear about the babies they don't want to hear about what a weird gig it is just you know play it as if it's going brilliantly and so i thought look, at the very least my opener i've just got to play it as if it's you know um uh, you know a strong room that, that it doesn't have the sound of, of well over 100 crying babies Anyway, this baby was rolling closer and closer and closer to me, and I had absolutely no idea. Eventually, I was getting big, big, big laughs for, like, the setup lines to my jokes. And I was thinking, it can't be this funny. Something else must be going on. Right, right. And so then I, I look around, and I see this baby's, you know, like, rolled close. And so I just looked at this mother and said, do you want to get that? So the mother <laughs> runs, bring, brings this baby back. And then this, this, then just when I think where well, I've got a bit of momentum again, a baby from the other side of the stage then starts walking towards me. Um, but he doesn't kind of commit to it enough. You know, one of the, rule of Im- one of the rules of improv is you've really got to commit to whatever you're doing. And uh, this baby didn't. And so uh, basically the, the, uh, the, the baby, just at the most in, in, inopportune times, kept walking closer and closer. And I just, um, I just, uh, just kind of comedy instincts kind of, kicked in i just called him a twat <laughs> and then i <laughs> then i just had to apologize to I was like, i'm sorry for calling that one-year-old a twat it didn't go very well and actually i know it didn't go well because i thought it went fine and i and i watched the video back and, and there were laughs but um i then did another gig for this promoter which went way 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 better than that one right and i know that it can't have gone well because she said that was absolutely brilliant she was like why didn't you do that material at the bristol gig i went oh you know i just did different stuff i wasn't sure it would work in the room she went well if it's any consolation i've had a shit gig this week as well I don't know, man. I didn't. I don't think we'd agree that, <laughs> that <Bristol> was <laughs> shit. 
That's your soap talk. And now let's get into the actual news. Actual news. Bobby Judo. Big yep. news story. Yep. It's uh, someone from your it, country. Yeah. It's blowing up the entire uh, Japanese blogosphere. This is one of these things that... So, so I spent a total of two and a half years researching um, and writing about international trademark law with a specific specialism in the international registrability of foreign word marks with a particular specialism in Japanese word marks. So, no. like, if So if this case, you know, if, if this whole saga happened at the time that I was writing my thesis, this would obviously be like what I would lead with. Like this is like the exact paradigm of what I spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours reading cases, reading reports and and coming up with it with a thesis. So just and before before on the off chance that nobody knows what we're talking about, this is Kim Kardashian launched a brand of shapewear uh, that she has called kimono uh, and has not really explained why she called it kimono. Uh, the speculation is that because her name is Kim or, or whatever. Well, yeah. But yeah. But, uh, and she's, she's trying to trademark it as her brand name, right? Yes, that's correct. And the story is that um, people are outraged that once she trademarks the word kimono, Japanese people can no longer use the word kimono in Japanese. Um, well, I which... just want to say real quick that like, like this is the first time that I have ever seen Japanese people upset about cultural appropriation. Right. Yeah. Normally they love it. Normally they're trying to, you know, flog tea ceremonies with you wearing the dress and they, you yeah. know, they love it when you do cosplay and what, stuff. Yeah. What normally happens, like Avril Lavigne did that like Hello Kitty video and everybody came out against her and bashing her for her Japanese cultural appropriation and this and that. And it's mostly like Nikkei America Jin, like, like Japanese Americans or Asian Americans or your well-meaning white people. Um, but <laughs> then you ask like actual Japanese people on the street what they think. And they're like, yeah, it's great. It's great that, you know, Katy Perry and, and, uh, Ariana Grande and all these like famous people that we look up to love our, our culture. So for me, there are two aspects of this that I find super amusing. Number one, it's the first time that actual Japanese people have, have gotten like really upset about the cultural appropriation part of it. And the is other that one true? is true because I've I've not seen much on Twitter of actual Japanese of, of Japanese people going ballistic. I've seen a oh, few. Oh yeah, no ballistic. Yeah, like like okay. There are a handful of. I think what happened was it started with Japanese speaking foreigners posting about it, um, and even even like um, uh, like Japanese American, like Hiroko Tabuchi who works for the New York Times or or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like bilingual people in in journalism, they started linking the story and posting translations of the story and asking Japanese people for their responses. And the average Japanese person person is really upset about it for a number of reasons. One, I mean, it's not anything close to a kimono, and because a kimono is like such a represent kimono is like such a perfect representation of Japanese cultural textile arts and beauty and this and that and and they have so much pride in their identity as the people who've right. created the kimono um and, and as, as we know from previous discussions it's it's only really the kimono that can guarantee to get you laid yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but to have that kind of like 
the word for something that's very important to them and their sense of identity and cultural identity um, to be used for something that's basically like what they see as sexy underwear is really offensive. And the other big thing is that Japanese people have no idea who Kim Kardashian is. Oh, really? Is that true? Yeah, no, I've had this conversation with so many people and like people who work in TV and I'll say, you know, there's this news story and it's about Kim Kardashian and they'll go, who's that? And I'll go, oh, it's Kanye West's wife. And they'll go, who's that? Is Kanye West's music not popular in Japan? No. I mean, I mean, like among people who are into hip hop. Yeah. But but the average Japanese person has no idea who Kanye West is. And so the way I've been explaining it is they're like. So I'll go, do you know Kim Kardashian? They say, no. I say, do you know Kanye West? They say, no. I go, do you know Jay-Z? And they go, I think I've heard that name. I'm like, well, Kanye West is like on the level of Jay-Z, but but you don't know who he is either. So do you know who Paris Hilton is? And they go, oh, yeah, Paris Hilton. I've stayed at that hotel. <laughs> no, they know Paris Hilton. Okay. And I'm like, okay, so, so, so Kim Kardashian is like the next generation Paris Hilton, but, but like at such a, a much higher level. And I think yeah. it's so funny that Japanese people are like, you know, we saw where the trend was going with like rich, white, useless people <laughs> that were becoming celebrities. And we were like, no, one's enough. <laughs> like, we'll, <laughs> we'll remember the name of the first one, but that's enough yeah. for forever. Well, the, the thing that amazes me is how like, I mean, just I've not really seen one tweet or one article that fairly represents the news story as i understand it from a legal perspective and it's it's always moments like this i think everyone must get them that when your particular speciality gets represented in the media yeah, you're yeah, acutely yeah. aware of like quite how absolutely dis like disgracefully bad journalists are um at getting it 100 right but of course that's not a journalist's job right a journalist's job is to kind of tell the story to not um to articulate that story at the same level as, as a specialist necessarily is this I don't I'm not sure if this is what you're talking about, but um, like when you're reading a work of fiction or, or or anything about, you know, as people who've lived in Japan for a long time and we have experience with Japan. I remember I was reading the book uh, World War Z, World War Z, right? World War Z as they call it in Japan. But um, I was reading World War Z, which takes place all, in countries all around the world. And it was fascinating. And you, you get a window into all of these different cultures and and different locations and it was so much fun and then they got to the japan sections and the japan sections were such bullshit like yep. it was so clear that the author had no clue what he was talking about and it was just so terrible and those moments make you go like wait is all of it bullshit yeah yeah exactly that's exactly it and so now you know whenever i i'm like incensed by a news report i always just think well i imagine someone that really knows this shit probably you know is, is like pulling their hair out yeah. and um you know, like such is the tide of misinformation about this case that I, I did at one point think, well, maybe I should just write a quick blog post or, or a quick tweet storm in Japanese. And this is actually like of all of all the 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 um, the problems with my Japanese, I'm really really good at explaining trademark law theory in, ja in Japanese because it's like <laughs> what like what I had to do yeah. for six months. So like if I was still in Japan, I would probably definitely be uh, like on news programs now talking about this, and I'd do I a will great just job. Be glad it's about underwear and not about soap. <laughs> yeah right exactly uh, and uh, but, but but you know basically the, the, the obvious obviously japanese people aren't going to be prevented from using the word kimono right <laughs> like, like like that's obviously that's what's happening um not even this, to try to sell kimonos 
No, not so even the, to try to sell garments. No, so uh, th this is the way this is the way trademark law works, right? The reason that trademarks exist is to prevent customer confusion in a marketplace. So what does that mean? That means if you go into a store and you want to buy Coca Cola. The reason why we don't allow another company to have a confusingly similar name to Coca-Cola, like Groca-Cola, with a confusingly mm -hmm. similar logo and a confusingly similar bottle, is it increases your consumer search costs. So if you go into a store and you have to go, okay, which is the actual Coca-Cola I actually want, right? How, how, how do I make sure I'm not picking up the wrong bottle from a different manufacturer? We allow each manufacturer to have each product to have a distinctive name or a distinctive mark, right? And so the point yeah. is that if you have a distinctive name uh, for a distinctive product, um, we'll kind of prevent uh, consumers getting confused in a marketplace. That's kind of what trademark law is about. And the idea mm -hmm. is that um, a company would want to invest their labor and their expertise um, into building that brand, right? Because uh, that means that, you know, they'll get repeat custom and it's just overall better for the economy, right? Um, right. In order to, to have companies that have repute and have a way to, to funnel that, that, that repute or, or, or have some kind of economic um, kind of protection for, for, for that repute. So. Can you say repute five more times, please? Uh, it's a it's a pretty important word in uh, trademark law, and the other thing that you need to think about is 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 the market. So trademark law only operates within a particular market. So it's only ever the consumers of that particular product or service. Um, you only ever look at whether they've heard of the mark or whether they're going to get confused by by a different mark, um, and whether they think that a certain mark has repute. So, so what the is issue at hand is is that like if there was a risk that people would walk into a store and see a Japanese kimono and Kim Kardashian's kimono and not be able to yes, make yes. a reasonable distinction between the two of them. Right. So, so, so the logical conclusion is people would be concerned that you have a kimono in a shop, right? And Kim Kardashian says, hey, you've got to stop using that, that word kimono to represent that kimono because I've got a trademark, which I've got a lot of goodwill and brand recognition. And that, that trade, that, that uh, sign is, or that kimono is, is riding on my coattails. Now, the reason why that's impossible is twofold. Number one, there are exceptions for words which are um, descriptive. So you can't have a descriptive trademark. So I couldn't have, I couldn't register a trademark for a computer which was called notebook computer, right? Uh, and so like you simply cannot register the word kimono as a trademark for a kimono, right? It's, it's like functionally useless because you might, even if you somehow persuade right, the right. trademark registration authority to register it, what would happen is someone else would still nevertheless use use your mark, right? Then you'd go and try and sue them, and then a judge would go, "What the hell are you thinking? That that's the that's the word in common use anyway." So right. like, we'll carve out an exception. So you might so own say, the for right. example, somebody wanted to you know trademark uh, the term "global reporters." <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> As so somebody we, we, we know tried to do. I know someone. Someone tried. <laughs> exactly. And so you know what what could happen is he could get the trademark for global reporters, right? Because there might be just a trademark official that's not thinking, or you know, there's no harm in putting it on the register. But the point is, if ever he would try and enforce those rights, he'd find that the scope of those rights are, are incredibly curtailed. So. Yeah. Um, first, firstly, you know, even if Kim Kardashian successfully registers the word kimono, that's not going to prevent you from describing kimonos with the word kimono. But the second really important thing is she's already tried to trademark the word kimono last year and she was obviously rejected because it's a mad thing to, um, to try and, um, register. So what she's doing this time is she's registering a stylized mark, right? So the, 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 the actual application, which I've taken a look at, isn't for the word kimono, but for the stylized word mark, which is like her logo. 
And so what that ah. means is the, the scope of those rights would be only if you were to write the word kimono in a visually similar way, or in fact, to use the correct legal terminology, a confusingly similar way, right, mm. to that particular logo that she's designed. And the logo has kind of like bubble lettering. So that, I think she has a very, very strong case. If she has built up... Um, kind of repute uh, she has built up brand awareness and now because of this bloody media frenzy she yeah, has no that's uh, one of the like with the hashtags and with all of the news it's like people will will at least for the foreseeable future associate the word kimono with her exact, exactly exactly and, yeah, yeah. and so i don't have a problem with her creating a distinctive looking logo right which would represent her brand yeah. and her registering that meaning that other other copycat manufacturers uh, couldn't create a very very similar logo i think that's fair enough but that is the absolute furthest um the american trademark registration system will allow her to to register any rights uh, in relation to um to the kimono so it's it's just such a non-story and i yeah, imagine yeah, yeah. i imagine this has you know this has obviously been registered with kind of a pr perspective in mind you know i, yeah. I just don't i don't believe that any credible lawyer seriously thought that she would get a trademark for the word kimono but this whole frenzy around it um you know has obviously brought a lot of a lot of benefits and you know if kim wanted to enter the japanese market she probably could also register that bubble um lettering as uh, as a as a as a trademark but it, again it wouldn't prevent it wouldn't prevent anyone in japan from doing anything else that they're currently already doing with the one exception of creating a bubbly looking logo like kim kardashian's logo uh with the word kimono or similar i just really like the idea that uh that it has to be like confusingly similar uh, or like that you wouldn't be able to distinguish between her kimono and a Japanese kimono. I love the idea of somebody walking <laughs> yeah. into a store and seeing like a beautiful floral print, like fully concealing as Japanese kimonos are designed to do, like to yeah. to flatten down and compress and to, you know, coyly kind of like conceal as much of the body as possible. And then looking at her her shapewear, which is like, jack your your breasts up and pop your butt yeah, out right, and go right, like, right, right, i can't right. wait which one is which which one <laughs> which one is which <laughs> do you do you want the slutty kimono uh or do you want the kim kardashian kimono another reference there to a previous episode um yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's one yeah and, and it's one of these things that you you just i just felt so exasperated i was like what what was the point in me spending all this time you know, and I did. I published a paper, but obviously no one reads it, do they? Um, you know, what is the actual point in spending all this time becoming a specialist in something only to watch the world burn? Um, uh, and so I, th the I think the, the message is don't care about anything. Yeah. There's all this, like, the internet makes it so easy for there to be proliferations of total non-stories. Um, and I'm not super well-versed in this one, but the one I saw the other day was um, the Stranger Things kid, the Toothless Stranger Things kid. Uh, I didn't follow that. So he he's like executive producing and starring in a new prank show. He's hosting a new prank show where the idea is that they they pull pranks on people who the big net backlash was or they're just people who are looking for work. They hire somebody to do a job and then it's all a setup and they put them through these horrible experiences. And I think the idea is like they get one person to do one job and another person to do another job and then they set them at odds with each other and put them through these these like prank experiences. And so people were going off on the internet about how, how, how this disgusting new prank show where these poor people are just looking for a job, they're just looking for work and you're gonna make them the butt of your prank. 
And the reaction from Netflix and from the kid who's the star of it was like, yeah, these are people who answered a classified ad for one day's worth of employment and then got paid for it. Yeah, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, and it, it's not... It's not like we promised them, like, a full salary and, like, benefits and then <laughs> and then had someone pretend to kidnap their kids. And, like... and also, also, don't forget, these people would have signed uh, release forms. So they would have gone through... You know, it, it's so common, right, in TV production. Because we, I, I did an undercover um, kind of pranky style thing for Japanese TV once where I would... Um, pretend to not speak Japanese ask people for directions and see how far I could push it and the, the further the, the furthest we pushed it was um, I uh, asked a guy to teach me how to use chopsticks and uh, using like waribashi right the the wooden chopsticks which which could snap and every time he handed me the chopsticks I just snapped them in half and let them fall in my ramen bowl <laughs> and, and I, I must have got through at least seven pairs of chopsticks um, be, before what did this you guy, do this for uh, I think I did it for um, Mentai Waido, uh, which is a, a morning entertainment show. Yeah, no, you, you didn't do that, did you really? Yeah, 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 yeah. How did we I not know a... about this? Um, well, because it was a hidden camera, kept it top secret. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've got the DVD somewhere, but it, it, was, re it was really, really funny. But yeah. that guy, that particular guy completely lost his rack because they wanted me to do the reveal that I spoke Japanese, right? And so I said, like, I just asked him a question straight up in Japanese. And he absolutely lost his shit. Because he went, what the hell? Like, were you taking me for a fool? You speak Japanese. What do you think you're doing? And I went, ah, you know, don't worry. Calm down kind of thing. And then, the yeah. like, one of the camera operators was, like, hidden. Literally behind the bar where we were. So he yeah. pops up, right? Like a jack-in-the-box, which makes the guy even more furious. The director's then, like, hiding behind the door of the toilet. He pops out. So this guy's, like, surrounded by people trying to calm him down, which only makes him angry. The director then just says to me, Ollie, leave. Because <laughs> this guy was like really, 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 really kicking off. And so, like, obviously, we didn't get the release form from him. But, like, we did yeah. get the release form from at least half of the people we pranked, I'd say. Yeah. Um, well, know, I think the, bi the, bigger, the bigger thing was that, like, the idea was you'd promised somebody a job and then played a, a prank on them. And then they found out that they didn't really have a job. And it's like, it wasn't that. Like, they had... They had what they thought was a one-day job doing something else, and it turned out to be a one-day job being on TV, which probably yeah. paid a lot better. So well, well, but yeah, people want to create a scandal about anything, and then the of course the actual travesty is things that absolutely should be scandals. Um, you know, they they don't don't seem to get the same traction, do they? Again, we've we've ended this podcast on a on a negative note. Uh, I don't know. I, I just I feel really good about the fact that Japanese people don't know who Kim Kardashian is. Although they also don't know who Prince is. They also don't know who Bobby Judo is. All three we need to work on. Uh... <laughs>